I seriously, before we get started tonight, I just want to thank you for coming to five o'clock. I know there's t-shirts and stuff, but uh, five o'clock is our, our opportunity for growth. And if you enjoy the service, I hope, I just hope that maybe, maybe, maybe you'll consider making this your service because we have a lot of fun at five o'clock. All right. All right. Um, somebody asked me recently, do I get nervous before I preach? And the answer is yes. I've always gotten nervous. Always gotten nervous ever since day one. Um, and that, that keeps me reliant on God. Like I, I pray a lot before I get up to preach. But somebody told me the other day, they said, I'm, I'm guessing that in today's culture, um, it's easier to offend people than it's ever been. And I'm like, oh, you're right. It's so easy to offend people. People, there are people right now in this room offended that I'm talking about being offended because you know those people, right? They're just looking to be offended. Actually, they're not here, they're on Facebook. Um, but I'm just kidding. If you're on Facebook, I love you so much. I'm just, just hypothetically other things. Um, but, but anytime I get up to preach, I do, I do get a little nervous and I'm always looking for things to try to pull people in and get us on the same page. And so what I wanna do tonight is I wanna survey everybody and, and also let you know that if, if this is your first time, that tonight, tonight is more of a teaching than a preaching. So, so if you want preaching, we're gonna finish the Exodus series next week. Come back, I'm gonna preach, I'm gonna spit, I'm gonna yell, I'm gonna cuss, I'm gonna have a sweat rag up here with me, it's gonna get crazy. But tonight, tonight's more of a teaching, but in order to set it up, I wanna see what I'm working with. So if, you're, if you've got a church background, I'm just kinda wondering what denomination did you, do you, do you affiliate with in regards to like where, where you came from? So just, in the room, how many, um, let's just start with Wesleyan, because I grew up Wesleyan. Any Wesleyans? Okay, yeah, just, yeah, there's not many of us left. <laughs> Methodist, Methodist, some Methodist, okay. Presbyterian, Presbyterian, this is, congratulations, this is the first time you ever raised your hand in church. <laughs> it's, it's easy, it's easy, it's easy. Some of them did this, but that's okay, you're close. Um, uh, let's go uh, Baptist, oh. Well, there's our problem. Uh, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Catholic, Catholic, yes, it's a lot of Catholics, that's great. I'll tell y'all my joke about the stuttering Catholic. Just made all the Catholics mad. <laughs> Did I leave anybody out? Oh, Pentecostal. See, I knew that was gonna happen. It happened every service. Woo, somebody always goes, woo, that's the true Pentecostal right there. Charismatic, tambourine, everything. Um, th there's a lot of differences in, in the church, but one of the things, or a couple of things that the church in general, most denominations, no matter what denomination you come from, we we all like celebrate the Lord's Supper. We partake of the elements, as, as some people like to say. And I remember years ago when, I, when I, I got saved in a Southern Baptist church. I grew up in a Wesleyan church, but I accepted Christ in a Southern Baptist church. And we, I, we went to church one night and they said we were gonna do the Lord's Supper. And I didn't know what that meant. And so that night, they, um, it was a great service, but then when it came time for the Lord's Supper, everybody got serious, like it got super serious. 
and they passed out the, the bread and the, and the juice, and, and they said, you know, here's the bread, here's the juice, and we did the thing, and we left, and I didn't know, I didn't know what I just did. I had no idea. I remember one night I got in trouble. I was in, I was in the church, and I was thirsty, and there was a little grape juice in the bottom of the cup. I stuck my tongue in there to try to get it, and the, tongue, the thing suctioned on my tongue, and when I pulled it off, it popped, and everybody turned around. I was like, spirit's moving, and, and so I... Uh, it's, they don't talk about the Holy Spirit in the Baptist church. So anyway, I, I didn't really understand the whole Lord's Supper thing, but, but we did it. And, this, and the church I grew, like I received Christ in, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It was like the, the fourth Sunday after the fifth Monday, after the second Tuesday, after the full moon, after, and, and so we just did it. And then I went on staff at a church, and then I served another church, and then, then I became a pastor. And somebody said, when are we gonna do the Lord's Supper? And I said, man, we're praying about it, which is Baptist for what we don't know. We, we have no idea, or I'm not dealing with it. So I had to dig in and figure out what this whole Lord's Supper thing, communion thing was all about. And when I discovered what I'm gonna share tonight, and by the way, I'm on a, I'm, I've been studying this for over 20 years. I'm on a 20 year, over 20 year journey. Um, when I discovered what I'm gonna share with you tonight, I made the personal decision that anytime I'm pastoring a church, that I didn't wanna just add it to the end of a service or I, I wanted it to be the service. Now, that doesn't make me better, that doesn't make us right, and that doesn't make other churches wrong. Some churches take communion every week and I'm super thankful for that. But for me, I wanted the opportunity to explain it before we did it. And so when we share it together, we're all on the same page. Everybody good with that? So I'm gonna sum it up for you in two words. Once you see these two words, you're gonna be good. Here we go, you ready? Here we go. Substitutionary atonement. We good? Ready to say the Lord's Supper? This is, this is a theological term. Now, I don't, I don't drop a lot of theological terms because one of the things I learned when you prepare a message is you do the cooking in the kitchen and you bring out the, the food to the table. But this term has so much weight and so much meaning. Let's, substitutionary means that, substitute, like substitute teacher, like somebody took the teacher's place, right? Substitute. And atonement means to pay for. So somebody paid for, somebody took our place. Somebody paid for what? Our sin. And the concept of communion, what we're about to celebrate, I thought for years it was just this thing that Jesus did and he got his guys together and Leonardo da Vinci was there and he painted the whole thing and we got that picture of that's what, it, but the, the Lord's Supper, what happened at communion, you can actually trace it all the way back to the book of Genesis and all the way forward to the book of Revelation. Revelation, revelation, not shins, okay? So, so God, God creates the world. He speaks it into existence, right? He said, let there be, and there was. I don't know, I don't know how long it took. The Bible says six days. People ask, was it six literal days? Don't know, don't care. I just know who did it. God spoke it, it happened. Oh no, no you don't, you weren't there. I, we, but it's here now, and so he speaks it into existence. And then he starts out with a rough draft. We call it man, he, right? Man is the rough draft. 
Women are the final copy, right? <laughs> so God, God created man. God created man, and watch this, watch this. God created man. The Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. Just a, just a note here and then we'll just keep moving. God gave the man a job before he gave the man a woman. Just throwing that out there. It's not a relationship series, but I don't, I can't get a date. It's because it's you live in your mom's basement and, and that's not attractive. So, so Adam had a job to work, to work the garden. And then, and then God says this, the Lord God warned him. You, now, check this out. The first four words that God said to Adam, you may freely eat. That's a good God. He said, I want you to eat. You need to get some meat on them bones, Adam. You know, meat on the ribs, because we're going to do something with one of those ribs in just a little while. But we, you may freely eat the fruit from every tree in the garden. Now, I don't know how many trees were there, but I'm guessing hundreds. I'm guessing hundreds. And Adam's looking around, and he's like, man, this is not a bad deal. But except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, I've had a lot of people ask me questions like, well, why did God make that tree? I don't, I, I don't know. I've had people ask, did God know that Adam was gonna eat from that tree? Absolutely he knew, and he knew it was gonna cost him. But he, he, the, the point here is that Adam had hundreds, maybe thousands of trees to choose from, and God said there's one thing that you can't have. And that's what the enemy wants to do with us. He wants us to focus on what we can't have and lose sight of how blessed we are. We've got all these things, all these blessings, and if he can rob our joy by taking our eyes off our blessings and focusing them on the things that we don't have, that's a step towards him and away from Jesus. So, so Adam, Adam is listening to God, and some people might see this as restrictive, but I see this as love, because if you're a parent, you know that love has limitations. You don't bring your kid home and say, kid, welcome to the house. I love you so much. I don't wanna impose my values. So I'm never gonna tell you something's wrong and I'm never gonna tell you something's bad because if you have a child, you know that they spend the first five years of their life trying to hurt themselves. I mean, they will find the coat hanger and start towards the, the, the electric socket. And if you're a parent, love tells them no. You don't go, well, you know, that's gonna, you're about to get lit up and, uh, <laughs> but I don't wanna impose my values on you. I don't want, I don't want to scar you by telling you that's wrong. No, love has limitations. And God says, all this is good for you, but this one thing, if, if you eat this fruit, you're going to die. Now that's not a mean God. I think that's a good God. If I tell you, hey, listen, if you walk out that door, 
you're going to get hit by a car. And you walk out that door and get hit by a car. Whose fault is it? Yours. I told you you're going to get hit by the car. So Adam is like, all right, all right, all these trees, can't eat that one. And then, and then Eve shows up. And it was good at first. It was good at first. Adam broke out in a love song and, and everything was great. Then the serpent showed up. And he didn't tempt just Eve because Adam was there too. He just didn't say anything. And Eve and Adam both ate the fruit. And, and then the Bible says they hid from God, which is, it's, it's just hysterical. If you've ever played hide and seek with a two-year-old, you know that the, high, the two-year-old, if they close their eyes, they think they're invisible. And you're like, I can literally see you right now. <laughs> so God shows up. And the reason Adam and Eve hide is because of guilt and shame. Guilt and shame is the reason they hid from God, isn't it funny how people say the Bible isn't relevant in today's world, but there are people in this room that you try to hide from God because of guilt and shame. So God's sitting there, and from, from our perspective, not God's perspective, but from our perspective, there's a dilemma. Because God said, if you eat the fruit, you're gonna die. So does God just, because he could have just vaporized them and started over. But this is man and woman, this is, they're, they're created in his image. And the thought of just destroying them broke his heart. So there's a verse in Genesis. And if we read through the scriptures, it, just a casual reading. In fact, for years and years and years, I read over this verse and I just kind of skipped it until I discovered the power in it one day. This is what the writer of Genesis tells us. And the Lord God made, who made? The Lord God made clothing. Adam and Eve tried the fig leaf thing and it didn't work. It didn't work. So God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now here's the reason this word is powerful and let me just take a second to explain it. Most Bible scholars and theologians, people that study this stuff way more than me and are way smarter than me, they all agreed that the, the animal that God would have sacrificed would have been a lamb. Now think about this. Genetically, genetically, this would have been a perfect lamb because sin hadn't yet entered the world, the genetic code for all the animals, like everything was perfect. So this would have been a perfect, spotless, innocent lamb. What'd the lamb do? Nothing. He's out hanging with his lamb friends. They're doing lamb, lamb things. I don't know what lambs do, but they're doing whatever lambs do, right? God picks this lamb up and he kills it. And Adam and Eve are standing there. This is the first time anyone has ever seen death. This is the first time mankind has ever seen blood. And they're shocked and they're horrified. But God takes the skin of that innocent lamb, and he covers the guilt and the shame of Adam and Eve. Don't miss this. Because of the blood of an innocent lamb, those marked for death and destruction could walk away in freedom. Substitutionary atonement. 
So let's fast forward to the book of Exodus because that's where we've been for the past few weeks. You missed out on it. It's, it's been a fun series. Um, we're going to do Leviticus next. No, we're not. It's just a joke. I just seen if y'all paying attention. So, so in, in Exodus, God's tearing up everything. Like he's sending the plagues. And even if you haven't been in church for a while, you're probably familiar with the 10 plagues. God sends the 10 plagues and here comes the frogs and the, and the flies and the gnats and the boils. And finally, God got to the final plague. He said, you know what? This sin problem is a big problem. The Egyptians are mistreating the Israelites. Y'all are mistreating each other. Somebody's gotta pay for sin. So God said, this is what I'm going to do. This is the final plague. I'm going to pass over the land of Egypt and I'm going to kill the firstborn son of every living human and animal. Now, just a curious question. How many firstborn sons do we have in the room tonight? Just raise your hand. You're, yeah, sucks to be you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Your little brother's like, okay. I mean, like, I, if I'm the firstborn, I'm a little freaked out. Why me? What did I do? But that's the, that's the price. That's the penalty. But then God said, but there's, there's good news. If you will go out into your field and find a, guess what kind of animal? A lamb. He said, find your best lamb. The perfect lamb. Don't bring me your jacked up three-legged eyeball hanging out. Sarah McLaughlin's got to sing about it at Christmas lamb. <laughs> Don't bring me that lamb. Kill the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb. Kill it. Take the blood from that lamb. Take it to your house and put it on the top and on the side of the door on the top and on the side. Now, for those of y'all that are visual, the reason I'm doing this is because the top, you just can imagine the top and the side. You can almost see the cross right there. And God said, when, if, when I'm passing through, if I see the blood over the door, I'll pass over your house. And if you're the firstborn son, you're like, good idea. Let's go get the lamb, right? That's what he, and God speaks, and this is what he says. He says, but the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, pause, when I see the blood of an innocent lamb, I will pass over you. The plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. And sure enough, that's what he did. God said, this is my wrath, this is my judgment, there's a way out. Somebody's gotta pay, the blood of an innocent lamb will literally save your life. And it happened, just like God said it would. And then, and then God goes on to say this, and this is huge. He said, this is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate. Now that's not a word that is commonly used with anything associated with church, but, but I, I, I love it because the word celebrate appears so much in scripture. Celebrate, you're supposed to celebrate. We're not supposed to be sad about the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to celebrate it. He said celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. 
Then he goes on to say this. Remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. And this went on for over a thousand years. Every single year, the Jewish people would get together and they would celebrate the Passover meal. It was called the Passover meal. And there were two elements in the meal. There was bread and there was wine. There was bread and there was wine. There was bread because when they left Egypt, they left in haste and they had to do something unique with their bread. And so the bread represented the provision of God and the wine represented the blood over the doorframe. And every, in fact, Jewish people still celebrate Passover till this day. It is a major celebration. In fact, just as a side note, there are seven festivals, Jewish festivals in the scriptures. In fact, there are seven times when God tells his people, shut everything down and throw a party that lasts for a week. So if your God is boring, you don't know that God because he's like, I want my people to be known for the way they party. Now, some of y'all don't take that too far, all right? I'm just saying, this is a second chance so you gotta clarify some stuff. Jesus would have been a part of this. When Jesus was born, he, in fact, let me, let me just say this and we'll get to that part. Je Jesus would have celebrated the, the Lord's Supper, but he didn't call it the Lord's Supper. It was called Passover every year of his life. Every year. In fact, there's one story about Jesus when he was 12 years old that Mary, I mean, uh, Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem and they, let, they left, they lost the son of God in Jerusalem. He didn't have his, he didn't have his location on, on his iPhone. He didn't have his, didn't have his Life360 app. How many parents are glad that you have a Life360 app? How many people are glad that your parents did not have a Life360? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If my dad would have had that, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here, I'm going to tell you right now. So, so Jesus appears on the scene and, and there's a, there's a, there's a snapshot in the scriptures where, have you ever been watching a movie and you see a scene and you're like, why was that scene there? And at the end of the movie you go, oh, and you kind of put it together? Well, that's what I'm about to show you right now because Jesus shows up and John the Baptist sees him and he points and he, he says something real unique about Jesus. He identifies Jesus as something, watch this. He said, he said John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John said, that's who, that's, that's him right there. And somebody wrote it down. I think John might have, I'm gonna write that down. I don't even know what that has to do with anything, but I'm gonna write it down and we'll save it for later. And Jesus, when he's 30 years old, he starts his ministry. And his ministry lasts for three years. He calls 12 apostles and they follow him everywhere. They spend every day with him. In fact, they would have had at least two, maybe three uh, Passover meals together before the one we're going to talk about now. And so on the night that, Je right, the night that Jesus is crucified, he's arrested, he's crucified the next day, he, he's getting ready to celebrate communion. Pa they would call it Passover with his apostles. And Luke tells us, he says this, he said, now the festival of unleavened bread, which is the same thing as Passover, the festival of unleavened bread arrived when the Passover lamb, can't get away from that word, can we? Passover lamb is sacrificed. 
Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. And they were like, okay, so they go and they prepare the meal and they got everything together and they thought it was just gonna be another night where they celebrated the exodus of Israel coming out of Egypt and Jesus was gonna drop a bomb on them that would blow their mind and change everything. And it all started with this. Then he took a cup of wine. <laughs> let, me, let me pause real quick and just offend the Baptists, which is not hard. In a traditional Passover meal, you would drink four glasses of wine. Four. Okay? That's, that's why we don't celebrate it like that in this church, because... If we had four glasses of wine, some of y'all like, Psh, that's what I call Wednesday. And then <laughs> other people, if you have four glasses, you're gonna be saying, you got a lampshade on your head and you're singing karaoke and all your clothes are coming off. So we don't need that, we don't need that. But if you think about it, if you think about it, when Jesus called Peter, James, and John with him to go and pray, they had a problem Doing what? Staying awake. Because they had four glasses of wine in them. Let's not be too tough on these guys, okay? It was probably pretty easy to fall asleep, right? Just, there we go. He took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said, take this and share it among yourselves. And right now everything's normal until, he said, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And I'm gonna talk more about that in just a second because that is powerful. Then this happened. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it and he gave it. For those of you that were last or at our last communion, he took it and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he said, this is my body, every one of the apostles looked up and looked at each other. They're like, what is he doing? This, this was shocking, because Jesus is essentially saying, hey guys, this is all about me. Now, we look at that and we go, well, yeah, of course. But it shocked the apostles. This would be equivalent to me walking out this Christmas and saying, hey guys, welcome to our Christmas services. Typically, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but from now on, Christmas is about me. Nobody in this room would go, okay. You'll be like, nope, it's time to go find third chance because second chance is gonna fall apart. He said, this is my body. So when we, when we take the bread, we're reminded that Jesus was physically present on this earth. He was a man. I remember one summer I was doing um, construction and I did it for three weeks. And, and the only reason I did it for three weeks is because I wasn't good at it. I can't, I, can't, I can't build stuff. I can't change a light bulb. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm just not gifted in so many areas. But I was, I was trying because I needed some money. I was in college, I was broke. 
And we had, <laughs> we had this guy named Ernie that talked nonstop. He talked nonstop. I remember he had a massive beard and no mustache, and I, and I, I was fascinated with that look. Um, and he would always talk a nonstop. But, so one day, he would, I didn't think he was paying attention, and I'm over here getting ready to get some nails. And I picked up a nail. I'll never forget this. I picked up a nail, and I put it right there on my, on my palm, and I just kind of pressed it in to see how it would feel. And I could feel somebody looking over my shoulder. And it was Ernie. And he just looked at me in the eyes, and he said, yeah, it hurt. And I walked off. And I, I, that stuck with me. Because I'm like, you know, he... Jesus took nails in his hands and his feet. He was beaten. And I've just never forgotten that particular moment and tied it into this right here where he said, my body, which is given. He said, I'm, I'm giving my body for you. Why? Because somebody's got to pay for that guilt and shame, and you can't, but the blood of an innocent lamb can John pointed at me and said, look, the Lamb of God. And he wasn't saying that for an identity statement. He was saying it as a prophecy. And then the next verse says, verse 20, after the supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant. And when he said that, there was a snapback reaction because it what he's doing is saying the old covenant where you got to keep all 639 laws perfectly. And by the way, the Pharisees came in and added about another 1,200. Nobody can be that good. If somebody's that good, they are that fake, I promise you. And he said, there's a new covenant. He said, there's a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. In Genesis, it was the blood of an innocent lamb. In Exodus, it was the blood of an innocent lamb. And Jesus was sinless. And it, because of the blood of an innocent lamb, we, we can walk in freedom. He said, this, this agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus said, I'm gonna give my life on a cross so you can live in freedom. That's what substitutionary atonement means. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's an opportunity to do three things. Number one, look back. To look back, when was it that you met Christ in your life? When did you pray to receive Jesus into your life? For me, I happen to remember it very well. It's May 27th, 1990, 10 till seven on a, on a Sunday in Easley, South Carolina. Now, if you, you, you may not remember the exact time or date, you just remember you were six years old at, at Grandma's Church at Vacation Bible School. You were eight years old. You were 14 years, I, I, I don't know when it was, but I've met some people like, when did you become a Christian? Oh, I've always been one. No, 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 no. There is a time where you decide Jesus is Lord. Pastor P, I don't recall a time that I've ever done that. Well, tonight's the night then. Tonight's your night. And for those of you that have prayed to receive Christ, it's a time for us to look back and think about the mercy of God 
that he saved. And, and by the way, how good has he been to you since then? How far has he brought you? Oh, everything hadn't been perfect. Dear God knows everything hadn't been perfect. But we look back on our salvation. It's a time that we, we look around. And when I say look around, I'm not talking about at other people. I'm talking about look around at your own life and, and evaluate. Am I, making, am I making progress in my walk with Jesus? Am I stalled out or am I moving backwards? Now, if you're here and you're stalled out and you're moving backwards, here's the good news. One of the reasons we were given communion, the Lord's Supper, is so that we could press the pause button in our life and evaluate. And if we're moving backwards or if we're stalled, we can push the pause button and say, you know what? I wanna change the direction of my life and I wanna walk closer with Jesus. That, that could be your decision tonight. And last but not least, it's the time for us to look ahead. Huh. Heaven is mind-blowing. I've tried to teach sermons on it, and I can't, because I can't wrap my mind around how amazing it's gonna be. But, but one day we're gonna be there in Christ. And we're gonna, I mean, can you imagine? Jesus said, I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God comes. One of these days we are gonna sit around a table and we are gonna raise our glasses to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for our sins. We're gonna toast him because he was hung on a cross and put in a tomb and three days later he rose to show death cannot hold me and because death cannot hold me death cannot hold my people and the joy that we're gonna have there just the joy <laughs> no politics no 24-hour news coverage. Personally, I'm excited because I, I get to see my mom with no cancer. I get to see my, my dad with no Alzheimer's. I get to see friends and family members. I mean, and when, when, when we see each other, it's going to be a celebration. Like, like, like tears of joy will form rivers that children dancing, just pure celebration. That's why I'm, when people ask me the question, and it's sincere, Pastor P, how could a loving God, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? And my answer is always the same. He doesn't. If you die and go to hell, you had to step over a blood-stained cross to get there because he paid the price for our sin so we could walk in freedom. So Jesus... Tonight, as we get ready to celebrate 
celebrate the fact that death could not hold you. God, as we get ready to celebrate the fact that even though we've been criminals and prodigals, God, that you met us where we were and you loved us too much to let us stay that way, that you, your body was broken and your blood was poured out so we could walk in freedom. And I pray for anybody in this room tonight, anybody watching online, wrestling with guilt and shame, that they would know, Jesus, that sin was paid for on the cross. Not a bad setup. Everybody get your elements. Hold them in your hands. Father, I want to thank you tonight before we take this Lord's Supper. God, I just, I just feel celebration in the room. Father, I pray that tonight will be a night that we celebrate. With heads bowed and eyes closed right now, before we get ready to take the Lord's Supper, maybe when I said look back, you look back and you realize there never have been a time that you received Christ. And tonight's your night. Tonight's your night you pray to accept Christ. You know that you need to ask Jesus to come in your life. And here's the deal, he comes in. Power washes your soul, makes you brand new. And, and it doesn't make you perfect, but it does mean you're forgiven. So if you're here tonight, you know you need to pray to receive Christ. I wanna invite you before we do the Lord's Supper, before we, before we take the Lord's Supper, you can't celebrate something that hasn't happened in you. So if you need to receive Christ tonight, I wanna invite you to pray and ask Christ to come into your life out loud. I'm gonna lead you in this prayer but as you pray out loud, you won't pray alone because our whole second chance family is gonna pray with you. So if you know you need to pray to receive Christ tonight before we take the Lord's Supper, you pray this with me, a second chance fam, let's pray it with them. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you as my savior. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. Come into my life and take over. In Jesus' name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, if you just asked Christ to come into your life, you just accepted him, I want you to do me a favor. I wanna pray with you and for you. I wanna know who you are. I want you to put your hand straight up in the air right now and hold it up, leave it up and hold it up, leave it up, hold it up, amen. Just leave it up, hold it up, leave it up, hold it up, hold it up, leave it up, hold it up. Father, I wanna thank you for these hands all over this room tonight. I wanna thank you for the fact that you change lives every single time we get together and tonight was no exception. Father, I pray that every person that prayed to receive you would walk out of this place knowing they are completely loved, completely accepted, completely forgiven. In Jesus' name. For those of you that have already peeled back the thing, you're gonna to have to give me a second. I'm trying to pray and I'm hearing y'all piss, so. Peel that back, that first section gives you access to the, to the wafer. This represents the body of Jesus. This is symbolic of the body. This is symbolic of the fact that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. He was a man, physically died on the cross and rose from the grave. And he said, when we do it, 
when we do this, when we take this, think about him. If you'll peel back. Jesus said that this is symbolic of his blood. And then when we, when we drink this, we're reminded that because of his blood, we are forgiven and free. And when we do it, we do it in remembrance of him. Now we ain't a fancy church, so we don't have those little things you put we don't have that. But we do have some trash cans at the exit door. And we're just asking you, listen, listen, you get in a t-shirt, all we want you to do is throw this away. It's not that much to ask. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you're gonna do. Thank you that you're changing lives. Thank you for reminding us tonight how powerful and awesome you are. Thank you that no one is greater and that no one is higher. We love you, Jesus. We say thank you for tonight. In your name we pray. Everybody that agreed said amen. Are you glad you came to church tonight? I'm glad you came to church. We'll see y'all next Sunday. God bless.